Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 62 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. With May just around the corner, it's a timely moment to talk about jobs for the coming month and also a little update on what my bees have been up to. And sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Well, welcome back to another podcast. And the end of April and into the beginning of May sees a lot of colonies building up strongly, which inevitably raises concerns about swarming again. We've had some remarkably fine weather and some very warm days, and a lot of colonies are well in advance of where they would normally be at this time of the year. On social media, I've seen lots of reports of swarm cells in colonies and several beekeepers already being called out to collect swarms from colonies that have already jumped at the chance of reproduction during this lovely spell of warm weather. And that reminds me to mention a word of caution to any beginner beekeepers out there who has one of those month-by-month beekeeping guidebooks. Remember, they are just a guide. Beekeeping is all about managing your bees in the prevailing conditions that you have where you are. This time last year, I was coming to terms with a long, cold blast of icy weather from Europe and working out how to clean hives up and get started into the beekeeping season proper. This year, everything is a good three weeks ahead, but I'll come on to my beekeeping in a short while. I think most beekeepers here in the UK have enjoyed a very productive start to the season and most have supers added to their colonies as the brood nests expand and colonies grow larger day by day. That said, I'm looking at the forecast for the coming week, and we've got some rain and cooler conditions to come, so things will probably slow down a little bit, no doubt. If you're just starting out in beekeeping, May is a great time to get started, and it's the month that I recommend to most beginners that they should look to begin their beekeeping journey. The risk of severe cold weather conditions is usually long gone, and nucleus colonies that have overwintered are bursting to get out of their nuke boxes and be transferred into a full-sized hive. Of course, this year, you could have started a few weeks earlier and had a very fast start. The key is to order your nucleus colony well in advance in the autumn of the year before you get going, or you're likely to have to wait until late May or even June to get a nice-sized nucleus colony from that season. If you're unsure of what you should be getting... There are guidelines out there and there's a a good set of guidelines by the British Beekeepers Association in the form of a useful PDF and I'll post a link to that in the show notes should you want to take a look. Generally speaking, a nucleus colony should be around five or six frames in total and consist of at least three good frames of brood. It will have a good laying queen that has been marked and from either last season or this season. So it's important to know if the queen is marked and what colour mark she has. Most suppliers of nukes will use the internationally recognised queen marking colour scheme, which can be remembered as the acronym Will You Raise Good Bees? And that stands for white, yellow, red, green and blue. Each colour covers two years. So for instance, last year was 2018 and the colour used was red. This year it's 2019 and green. 2020 will be blue, 2021 white, and 2022 yellow. And then we start all over again. 
Of course, if you don't want the queen to be marked, you can request this from the beekeeper selling you the nuke, but for beginner beekeepers, it does make the whole experience less stressful and much more fun when you get to spot the queen in those first initial inspections. If ever I'm selling nucleus colonies, I always like to give out nearly new frames. It isn't necessary, but most regular suppliers of nukes will be rotating their frames anyway, so the frames will be nearly new, maybe one or two seasons old at the most. The one thing to point out here is, under no circumstances should you get any frames of foundation or odd-sized frames in the nucleus colony you're purchasing. I have seen nukes for sale containing a mix of brood frames and super frames, and when I asked about it, the chap selling it said it was to encourage the colony to produce a few drones. What he really meant was he didn't have any other frames to put into the nuke and was counting on the beginner beekeepers not knowing what they should be getting. If you have any doubts at all, then take an experienced beekeeper along with you and insist on seeing the bees a few days before you hand over any cash. More importantly, always go to somebody who is respected and can be trusted to supply a decent nucleus colony. The frames of brood should all be healthy and contain brood in all stages and this is a phrase you'll hear regularly from beekeepers, brood in all stages, and it means just what it says. Brood ranging from the very tiny larvae through the various developmental stages as it grows to a full-size larvae in a cell ready to be capped. It's a good indicator that the queen is laying well and there has been no brood break. That's a period of time when the queen stops laying for any number of reasons. While you do want to see plenty of open cells with larvae, you also want to see some large areas of capped brood. This is an excellent sign that more adult bees are on their way, and when the nuke is transferred into a full-size hive and those workers emerge, they'll help to fill the box and build the colony quickly. You may see a small area of drone brood, but you don't want to see large blocks of it taking up more than around 10-15% to 15 of the total brood area. This can be quite difficult to judge, but if there are a few small areas of drone brood, then that's fine. You can also expect to see maybe one or two frames filled with food stores, and this is essential for any nucleus colony. They need those food reserves in case poor weather prevents them getting out to forage. Most of the frames will probably have a little seam of food stores running around the top of the frame in a kind of arch shape, or at least there'll be some food stores tucked into the top corners but you do need those full frames of food too. Ideally, you want the box to seem like it's full of adult bees as well. Removing the top of the nucleus colony and lifting out the frame, it should be almost too difficult to see the comb beneath because there are so many workers on the frame. And don't forget you might see a few drones too, but they should be very much in the minority. The bees should look healthy, with no obvious deformities such as deformed wings, the bees should be a good temper too, of course. You don't want your first experience handling honeybees to be stressful because the bees are flying up at you to welcome you to their world. That said, poor handling can make for grumpy bees, so if this is your first time handling bees, do take it slowly and be careful not to bump and bash the frames as you look at them. If you have some help from an experienced beekeeper, so much the better. I have been called out to some apparently grumpy bees before, only to find that when I handle them, they're perfectly fine. It's all in the handling, and as your confidence grows, so your ability to handle the bees more carefully will grow, and the bees will be all the more happier for it. It goes without saying that the brood and the bees should all be healthy. 
you might spot one or two chalk brood cells in some nukes in early spring and whilst it's not perfect it will normally clear up after a few warm weeks but do keep an eye on it and if you have any doubts contact the beekeeper that sold you the nuke. One very important consideration is the nuke box the bees are being sold in. If it's a local purchase the beekeeper selling the nuke might just send you home with one of his or her nuke boxes which they've agreed you will return after transferring the bees into your hive. I've even taken a full-size hive and transferred the bees into it for the beekeeper prior to them collecting it. But whatever way you move the bees back home, just remember they will get stressed during the move. So keep the journey as short as possible and once home, set them up quietly and leave them to settle in for a couple of days in their new apiary prior to moving them across to their new hive. If you've never seen a nuke transfer before, check out my recent video on the do's and don'ts of transferring a nucleus colony. It's available on YouTube. Of course, you could try waiting for a swarm to descend into your empty hive. I do know someone who tried that method about 10 years ago, and I think he's still waiting. But going out with an experienced beekeeper to collect a swarm and house it in your hive is a really fun way to begin beekeeping, and of course, potentially, could save you a lot of money. One of the challenges here is lots of beekeepers are happy to go out and collect swarms, so you might have to bide your time waiting for the phone to ring. Adding your name to a swarm collection list is helpful, but again, that's really something for experienced beekeepers to do. So have your bee suit ready and wait patiently for the call. Of course, you never know what you're going to get with a swarm, and that's the risk you take in choosing this route to get started. An early swarm might seem like a good idea, but it could mean that they've come from a very swarmy colony, and before you get them set up across a full brood box, they've gone and swarmed again. You don't know what kind of temperament you're going to get, and you really don't know what the health of that swarm is likely to be. There can be nothing worse than collecting a swarm, housing them, getting them started, only to find that they're really grumpy and difficult to manage. Yes, it can be dealt with, but beginner beekeepers don't really want that as their first experience of beekeeping. Worse still, they may be carrying a nasty disease which could result in their destruction, and even worse experience for the beginner. That said, I've never ever collected a swarm that's been infected with either European fowl brood or American fowl brood. Perhaps I've just been lucky. I don't actively collect swarms anymore. Just bees that have swarmed from my own colonies or unless someone has got my number from a friend or a fellow beekeeper. If you do choose to sit tight and wait for a swarm, I wish you good luck with it. It's an exhilarating experience the first time you see it in action and you're guaranteed to get hooked from that point. If you're heading into your second season and beyond, then you'll be worrying about whether the bees have enough space probably. It's a topic I've mentioned before and adding a super or two in good time will really help when the brood box full of capped brood emerges and needs somewhere to go. It's not just about honey production, remember. It's about managing the conditions within the hive to help the bees to continue to expand without hitting that congested threshold for swarming. While you're carrying out these first few inspections, keep an eye open for wax moth. You'll notice the telltale trail just under the cappings, and if you use your hive tool to scrape off the top, it will eventually lead you to a lesser or greater wax moth larvae which you can pick out and give to the birds. A little bit of housekeeping now will work wonders at keeping these pests in check. Now is also a good time to start reviewing the condition of your brood frames and selecting those that you want to replace. I generally replace around a third of the brood frames each season, sometimes more if I consider that the bees haven't got enough room or because maybe the comb has become damaged and there are just too many frames of 
ivy granulated in the corners to prevent the bees from opening up the brood area for the queen to continue laying. You don't have to remove them all at the same time, and those that are damaged but have brood in can be gradually moved out to the side of the box over a period of several weeks, and once the brood has emerged, whip it out and pop in a new frame of foundation. The bees will be all the happier for it. I had a question about oilseed rape a while back, asking about the general pros and cons of having your bees on oilseed rape as a crop. Well, locally, the oilseed rape here is pretty much in full flower now, and those bright yellow fields can be seen for miles around. For those of you not in the UK, oilseed rape is a form of canola, and I think around the world canola is probably the more common name for this plant, but it's basically the same plant as I understand it. For me, it's the first major nectar flow of the season, and one we try to prepare our bees for every year. That normally means feeding a pollen substitute in late winter and sometimes giving a light syrup feed to stimulate the queen into egg laying. This year I haven't had to do either, such as the weather being. If you ever drive or cycle past a field of oilseed rape in full flower, you'll be hit with the full-on smell of nectar. I know some people struggle with the pollen, causing them hay fever, but for me it's one of the most wonderful sights and smells of spring. It really does give me a buzz. So let's look at some of the benefits of having your bees on oilseed rape. Well firstly because of the excellent pollen production and nectar flow that you can get from it, colonies can build up very quickly. So if you've got a small colony they can really get a spring boost by having all of the pollen and nectar they could possibly forage to help with replacing food stores and building strong healthy brood. It is of course a great crop for honey some varieties of modern oilseed rape don't seem to produce quite so much nectar these days, but you can still get a massive crop when conditions are favourable. Because of this, it can be a useful crop to get frames of foundation drawn and ready for splits and the main summer honey crop. Personally, I really like oilseed rape honey, and I particularly like the smoothness of the creamed honey it produces. It's a very light-coloured honey, and when it turns into soft-set honey, it's almost white in colour. It's very easy to spot in the local shops and can be used to seed other honeys to get a fine granulation too. But this granulation process is also one of the biggest headaches for a lot of beekeepers, as the honey will granulate very readily in the comb, and once it's set, the only way to get it out is to cut out the comb from the frames and warm it up to separate the wax from the honey. Timing here is all important, and you could manage this process in several ways. You could decide that you want to make candles out of the wax, for instance, and cut out all of the combs regardless. Then you can do this at your leisure with no time pressures. If wax production isn't your thing, then keeping an eye on the honey and getting it off as it ripens might be a better option for you. If it doesn't shake out of the frames when you handle it and give it a quick shake, then the water content is low enough for it to be extracted. Personally, I leave it to be capped, but here's the crucial bit. Don't take it off the hive until you're ready to extract, and then extract it on the day that it's taken off. I read recently that there's some evidence that new comb and wax cappings actively prevents the honey from granulating, so maybe it would be worth just using fresh foundation each year for oilseed rape crops. Anyway, like many beekeepers, I don't have access to a large warehouse warming room to keep the honey liquid, so I clear the bees from the supers and extract within 24 hours. Leaving a super of oilseed rape honey on the worktop for a few days is a sure way to trigger granulation. 
one of the other challenges of oilseed rape is that the sudden flush of nectar and pollen can be a primary trigger for swarming. Boxes fill rapidly with nectar to the point that every cell is filled with liquid gold and the queen runs out of room to lay eggs. What can the colony do but swarm? Here it's important to make sure you get extra space on the hives as early as possible. Those colonies I took to the fields recently were dropped off and immediately given additional space in the form of either a couple of supers or a brood box. Some drawn comb, but mostly foundation. Having read about the new comb potentially delaying granulation, maybe next year I'll go with all foundation. If you're interested in finding out more about oilseed rape and bees, check out a copy of the book with the same name by Alan Calder. It's available from Northern Bee Books, and I'll pop a link into the podcast notes. If oilseed rape does start to granulate in the comb, it can act as a trigger to cause your summer crop to granulate too, so when you've extracted, make sure you get the supers back on your bees to get them cleaned out as quickly as possible. Other than that, post-extraction, all the same rules about granulation apply, so don't leave the settling tank full of oilseed rape honey sat around for too long, otherwise it will set solid, and good luck with cleaning that out. Overall, I love getting my bees on oilseed rape crops, and the benefits to the bees and for me easily outweigh the occasional solid frame of honey. If you've got oilseed rape near you, smile and keep a watchful eye on what your bees are up to. Finally, a quick update on my beekeeping, and it really focuses on the colonies on the oilseed rape, because that's where most of my bees are. As soon as the first flowers appeared, I added boxes, mostly above queen excluders, although I have some colonies I want to produce additional frames of brood for splits, so some of the brood boxes were added beneath the queen excluders. You may have seen me transferring a nuke into a full-size hive on video recently. We had a total of around nine nukes transferred into brood boxes, and for the most part these have gone well. A couple have decided to build comb in between the frames, and I'll produce an update video to show you how bees can mess up your plans. But mostly, the nukes are building strongly, one of which has actually had a second brood box added, because in four days they had filled a commercial brood box and needed more room. Two of my colonies have swarmed, one we collected, a lovely prime swarm, and they've now settled into a full brood box, and the queen is laying nicely. They should easily provide a super or two of summer honey. I found another colony had thrown about a dozen swarm cells, so we split this colony. I simply moved the queen out on a frame of emerging brood, and gave her a frame of food and filled the nuke box with frames of foundation. I removed all but one of the swarm cells, and left the main colony to continue foraging. They should do really nicely, as they'll now have no young brood to look after, and really, they only need to go out foraging until their new queen comes into lay. I did find one other colony that was at the point of swarming. They had a mass of bees hanging on the front of the hive, and bees chaotically flying all around. It was obvious they were about to go. It was nice to have some help on that day, and Pete helped me move the hive to a location about 20 metres away. I set up a new hive in the position of the old location and we watched as all the flying bees headed back to the original stand position. After about an hour of inspecting other colonies, we went back and sure enough, all the flying bees had migrated back to the original hive position, leaving a much quieter original hive for me to inspect. I went through and easily found the queen, another good reason for marking queens, and took her on a frame of emerging brood back to the original position which had all the flying bees and popped her into the middle of the box of foundation. 
Within minutes, both hives had settled down again. I removed all but one of the queen cells from the original hive, and that, my friends, was my first artificial swarm of the season. Isn't it great when a plan comes together? Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast, and keep the comments coming. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping, short and sweet. Yeah.